you guys ready to meet a miraculous candidate? You think I'm exaggerating? You don't believe me? You'll believe me soon. Uh, joining me now, the Democratic nominee for the 12th District in Ohio, Amy Ripple Elton. Amy, welcome to TYT. Hi, Cenk. It's a wonder to be here today. I'm so happy. Well, it's a wonder to have you. So, Amy, so the audience understands in the neighboring district in Ohio 11, in the, during the course of two elections, about 12 to $15 million were spent. You won the Democratic nomination in Ohio 12. Amy, how much money did you spend? $130. $130, and you won? $130, and I won. That's amazing. Dare I say, a little I miraculous. I am Wolfpack strong. <laughs> I come straight from Wolfpack. Campaign finance reform now. How you like and them apples? I will apples? tell you why. I will tell you exactly why. Do you know how they give away congressional seats for the committees once you get to Congress? Mm -hmm. There's a tier A. A tier B and a tier C, and it's really simple. You have to have raised a million dollars or more to get a tier A seat in Congress on a committee. A tier B seat is a half million to three quarters of a million, and a tier C seat is a quarter million to a half million from that industry. Yeah. I'm sitting back and I'm going, it's no wonder they don't listen to us as the people. They're more worried about losing their dollars. Yeah, you got that They're exactly more right. They're worried about losing those donation dollars the next time around. And I refuse to be bought. Amy is a Wolfpack supporter and organizer. And she won that Democratic nomination and is going up against a Republican for the US congressional seat in, in Ohio 12. And so uh, Amy, of course, uh, and she's referring to what Mo Brooks said, a Republican congressman from Alabama, it's absolutely right. It's totally organized corruption. And it turns out if you run against corruption, you might win, even if all you only have 130 bucks. Out of curiosity, what'd you spend the 130 on? 85 of it was my key um, to file. And 30 of it was to get my um, domain names for my future website. The rest of it was on little incidentals like pens, pencils, paper, All clipboards. Right. So uh, Amy, how do you think you did it? How do you think you won uh, with just 130 bucks? Part of it was Roe versus Wade. I was the female candidate and I won't lie, that is a big deal. Because it's not just about abortion, even though that's a huge issue. The next issue becomes privacy rights. If we can't keep those privacy rights, we're all out of luck. The other part of it was I have over 100 family members in district. I have over 100 that actually know me. Yeah, well, it helps to have a big and family. And we're on the Republican side, but they don't care because they know that I will do what's right for the people. So the next thing is, I went in and I looked up my competition, and I looked at his voting record. 
I'm sorry, I can't be a brown nosing cookie cutter person. I never could be. I look at each issue and the constituency and what's important to the people. And I've been going to coffee shops, I've been going to restaurants and announcing it ahead of time and going, I'm here, come sit down with me, have coffee. I'll tell you who I am, what I'm all about, the whole nine. All right, and um, and so Amy, did the Democratic Party reach out to you uh, after you won uh, the oh. primary? I spoke with one of the people that's higher up in the Democratic Party, and I won't name them, but they told me that my campaign wasn't viable because I didn't raise and spend a bunch of money. So, Amy, did it feel like they were telling you that you're not rich enough to run? They told me like they thought I should drop out, literally, because I didn't have the money. But it's not about the money, it's the people that matter. It will always be the people that matter. Yeah. Well, if the Democratic Party was so right, how come you won the primary? <laughs> you didn't have any money then. You spent most of it on the filing no. fee. <laughs> so, and if they wanted to do I've spent the last decade on disability, literally on disability. I've worked in fast food. I've been over the road in a semi. I've worked. I've waited tables. I've worked in call centers. Everything an average job. I know what it is to be your average person, and what your average person goes through. I've been a homeless single mother of two, both with special needs. I will step up for the people only. They cannot pay me enough to step away from that because yeah. I know what I need is a roof over my head, food in my stomach, clothes on my back and access to medical care. So that's what if I, want I have to, those things, I'm fine. Yeah, that's what I want to get to next here. And so, look, you're a, a real person in America, and and you happen to win an important election. And and if the Democratic Party wanted to run a rich person, they should run a rich person in the primary. That's how the system works. Okay, so sad day for them. So, Amy. Tell me about your stance on Medicare for all and why you care so much about that issue. Oh, It goes even one step further. I'm not just saying Medicare for all, I'm saying Medicaid for all. Medicaid covers mental health, eyeglasses and ears. Medicare does not cover enough of those benefits. My mother is on Medicare. And had to come up with everything out of pocket to get hearing aids, basic hearing aids. She was a nurse for over 30 years. It took her six years to afford to get a set of hearing aids. That's not okay. We should treat our elders better than that. Not just for our elders though, but for our veterans too. It hurts my heart to see what they go through. 
We need to improve those things first while working on getting education more accessible to the majority. And I'm talking higher level education. We work from there, we continue to get rural internet built. Because even your basic farm cannot survive without rural internet. And we bring in more tech school jobs, building jobs, things like home building, HVAC, electrical, whatever it takes. Because right now the district I'm in is the one that that new Intel plant is going into. We, our children are growing up and leaving this area. They're not staying because there aren't enough. But we're not preparing to train them to take those jobs. And that has to change. So if we want to make better society, these are the things that need to give. Amy, are you comfortable talking about? Have a plan to get up there. Right. Are you comfortable talking about what happened to your partner? Yes. So tell us about that since this is since you won. My other half helped me get the signatures to be able to run to vote or run to for office. We did not know he was ill. On the 6th of this month, he passed away suddenly. He had five brain occlusions, vegetations on his heart, which are basically growths. And he had lung cancer as well as cancer in his, um, not thyroid, lymph nodes. Mm -hmm. If we had went to treat one thing, it would have killed him by messing with the other. Yeah. There was no way. But clear through it, I asked him repeatedly, do you want me to drop out and focus in on you? Because we didn't know until that last week that it was the end of his road. And he said, no. We both agreed. This country needs more people like me. Yeah. Amy. So, so we're almost out of time, but um, first um, on your partner, one last thing, and I don't know this. Did he have good enough health care coverage to be able to go to regular checkups to catch some of that stuff earlier? He had Medicaid, and when he first went into the hospital with his first stroke a day before the pri- or a day, a week before the primary, they said he needed a PET scan because he was inpatient for the majority of the rest of his life at that point, they would not allow a PET scan. A PET scan would have shown us exactly what was going wrong. It would have given us the ability to focus in on just him relaxing and enjoying his life and his dogs till the end of his days. Yeah, but we didn't get that. Without that. Yeah, without that, we didn't know. Yeah, and we don't live in that system. And that's 
two-thirds of Americans don't go to doctor because they're worried about costs. And this is some of the results. Right. So Amy, where, how can people help you? Where can they go to help you? A ripple makes change at facebook.com. A-R-I-P-P-E-L makes change. You can also reach me at that same um, thing at yahoo.com. That is my email address. Okay. Or you can call me directly at 614-772-5794. And because you're TYT Army and Wolfpack, that is my personal cell phone. Yeah. It is with me 24-7, 365. Yes, give it to the public. Okay, that's yet another bold choice you've made. I'm not sure I would give out my number, but um, but all right, we'll put the link down below for the Facebook page. That's the better way to help. So make sure you're going to participate there. And then Amy, I know people are going to ask, so let's just get it out of the way. So you've got facial hair. Do you do you want to address that? I I know you before because you're a Wolfpack volunteer, but other people. I've got hearingism. It's a the same thing what they would call wolfman disease. Years ago, I used to shave all the time. I ended up with an ingrown hair turning into a cyst that turned into precancerous cells and had to have it cut off. And I decided it was better to stay alive and raise my kids and live my life than to worry about what I looked like. Yeah. And I'll tell you, if people are more worried about what I look like than how I think they're looking at the wrong issues. Yeah, no, a Amy, you're the best of us. So uh, <laughs> was a Wolfpack volunteer and organizer for a long time. Does she mean it when she says she wants to get money out of politics? Absolutely. That's the founding fathers wanted real Americans to run and, and to be in Congress. Uh, and it doesn't get any more real than Amy Ripple El Elton. So Amy, you're the best. Thank you for uh, coming on, we appreciate it. Jake, you're wonderful. Thank you for helping start Wolfpack. And thank you for starting that movement. It really made a difference in both my life and Adam's. All right, thank you for saying that. All right, good luck in the race. Is the universe made of chaos and going towards chaos? Or is there an organizing force? Or is it both? Let's try to find out. We're gonna bring back Bobby Azarian. He's a cognitive neuroscientist. He's a blogger for Psychology Today. He's got his own Substack and YouTube channel called Road to Omega. And he's got a new book out, The Romance of Reality, How the Universe Organizes Itself to Create Life. Interesting. Bobby, good to see you again. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Jake. Glad to be back. No problem. All right. so. Uh, of course, uh, there's chaos in the, and randomness in, in the universe, and, and there's theories that uh, that is bread and butter uh, of the universe, to put it in a kind of a funny colloquial way. Um, is there a counter theory? Let's start there. Yeah, so the old idea was uh, this idea of the second law of thermodynamics, uh, which is a law that um, life does not violate, but uh, there was kind of the wrong interpretation of that law uh, because it was applied to the universe. And uh, it really only applies to uh, closed systems and uh, there are open systems in the universe. 
that uh, evade this tendency towards disorder that the second law describes. Um, they don't vi- uh, life doesn't violate uh, the second law of thermodynamics because it creates entropy uh, when it uses energy to uh, sustain itself. Uh, but yes, there's there's a new emerging worldview uh, based on complexity science that says the universe becomes increasingly complex over time, not increasingly disordered. And life is a natural manifestation of this complexification process as well as consciousness. So it kind of has uh, some spiritual undertones because it says that we're not this cosmic accident, um, which was what the old view said and uh, that life does seem to have this cosmic significance. Uh, It might actually um, uh, shape the evolution of the cosmos in years to come. So uh, is it possible though, Bobby, that it's both? Uh, that what life and the universe is, is that it's a balance between chaos and order and that we live in that balance? That's exactly right. Uh, there is uh, this balance and you need chaos to uh, have complexity. And when I say that, uh, I'm talking about uh, a system and that can be Uh, a biological system or a social system. And what you see is that uh, when these systems transition to a state of higher order, you need some chaos in the system because the system, uh, the chaos uh, allows for flexibility. Um, uh, a A system that's too rigid can't really transition to a new state. So you need some injection of noise or chaos Uh, to really have this evolution towards a form of higher order. And I think that explains a lot of the chaos that we've seen recently. It's basically a system that's screaming for change. Yeah, Uh, so Bobby, so you know, I used to always ask the question, yes, but where did E equals MC squared come from? Like, why is it not E equals MC cubed, for example? Uh, Did, you know, us as humans, we have a tendency to project the way we think into the universe. And so I used to wonder, well, who came up with that rule, right? And 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 why is it that particular rule? And But now I think a little bit differently, Bobby. And I, and I think that maybe that exact formula, for example, is where chaos and order found balance. And that that's why that formula exists. Not because somebody wrote it down or some force or entity wrote it down and decided that, hey, squared looks better than cubed. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, so the laws of physics uh, are what they are, but they're really interesting because they do lead to these increasingly complex systems that we see all around us. And uh, you really... um, you need the the parameters of the universe to be uh, fine tuned, is how they describe it, uh, to have this uh, inevitable emergence of life and intelligence. And so, uh, the question is, uh, what explains that fine tuning that that allows for these laws to actually give uh, rise to increasing complexity? And I think that's a big mystery. Um, it's kind of why the, the book is titled The Romance of Reality. Uh, reality is romantic in the sense that it's uh, still really mysterious. 
We don't know a lot of things. We don't know exactly how consciousness emerges from physical processes. We don't know what dark matter and dark energy are. Uh, but we are starting to see this new cosmic narrative uh, that basically says that the universe uh, tends toward higher complexity and that has some really interesting implications for life. Uh, but also uh, implications that are more practical for like how we design our social systems. Uh, the idea is basically that uh, social systems are something like social organisms uh, and that we can understand how to optimize social systems by looking at how uh, the evolutionary process has optimized biological systems. And I can go into a little bit yeah, more detail yeah. about that if you want. Yeah, look, I agree with the uh, obviously with you on the beauty of uh, of existence and the poetry of it, and uh, and I don't think people appreciate it enough. Like, holy cow, we exist! Yeah. <laughs> we just take it as a given. When <laughs> where'd that come from? Is that amazing? Isn't it miraculous that we exist? Okay, but to the practical effects that you mentioned. So um, the fact that the that the universe can tend towards co complex systems. All right, give me a practical example of, of what that would mean for us in the political or policy world. Yeah, so you are an organism and you usually think of that as one thing, but you're actually a community of cells working together in an integrated fashion. And your brain is a community of neurons working together to exchange information. And the output of all this collective computation of these cells is your intelligent behavior. So uh, what complexity science has really shown us is that uh, nature is creating these adaptive systems like we see with biological organisms, but uh, that these systems can exist at higher scales. So a society, just like you're a collective of cells, is a collective of human agents. And these human agents are interacting and exchanging information. Uh, so society, is in a very real sense a social organism. And now something like a global brain is emerging across the planet from the network of humans that are connected by the internet, exchanging information in ways very similar to how neurons exchange information in brains. So what is that global brain doing? Well, it's doing collective computation. It's um, computing and the output is all the things that we have like science and technology and culture. So if that's true and uh, you think that uh, we're forming this global brain and that society is a social organism, um, you can look at uh, principles from complexity science to kind of see how to optimize those systems. So for example, um, a system is more complex if it has more parts and more connections between those parts. So uh, for example, any nation that cuts their people off from the internet, like North Korea or Russia or China, is kind of blocking this uh, free flow of information. And it's not a sustainable model. It may get you some short-term results. But in the long term, if you want a healthy adaptive system, you want to have all of these connections. And that's what the internet and social media and blockchain systems are doing. Of course, there's good and bad with every technology. Um, but these technologies that allow for greater information exchange are intrinsically good. 
Okay, well, that, that also is a unique theory. Uh, so, <laughs> they being intrinsically <laughs> well, good. There's a, yeah, yeah there's, okay. a, there's a lot of bad to it. Okay, I guess uh, the way to explain it would be that this complexification process is inevitable. So, we can't go back to a society that doesn't have these technologies and you know these tools like social media. So uh, we always have to be mindful to steer our technology in the direction that we want to see society go in. So uh, when I say that something is good, it is uh, taking into account that we are uh, adaptive systems that are self-correcting and that we will uh, out of um, a need to overcome our existential challenges, uh, uh, basically guide the train that is complexification in the right direction. One would hope. Uh, so now I agree with all of your premises. I think that uh, it, something like the internet that connects us all was inevitable. Uh, and no question, you can't roll it back. Some do want to. Uh, there's Duganism in, in Russia that Steve Bannon, Tucker Carlson believe in. There's the new right now uh, that funded by Peter Thiel, and they think, no, we don't like progress. We want to go backwards. They literally celebrate the medieval ages and etc. And so they say, no, we're going to stop progress uh, and we're going to go back to tradition. Good luck with that. Um, so it's just not how we're built. It's not. It could happen temporarily. Can't happen in the long run. So and and I think that. I share your optimism, Bobby, in that eventually us all being connected through things like the internet, things, by the way, also like the markets, right, um, is going to be a good thing overall. But right now, uh, Bobby, I think it's fair to say that we're in the era of dark matter. Uh, so it has led to communities uh, that have fostered unhealthy parts of humanity, and that's true too. I mean, we've got good sides yeah. as humans, and we've got terrible sides as humans, right? Uh, we're the ones yep. that uh, murdered all the Neanderthals. <laughs> it's not like we we True. got an unpleasant side to us for sure. So to yep. give at least one example, um, so how do you know that the dark matter in that analogy isn't going to win? Yeah. So uh, at the beginning, you talked about this balance between order and chaos, and it really has to be that way because a system that is too rigid can't transition to a state of higher order. So you need this kind of injection of chaos to uh, uh, evolve into something that's higher and more functional. Um, as far as you know, the bad uses, like the the potential downside of all these technologies, uh, that's all very real. So there's a principle in the book uh, called Popper's principle, aimed after the great philosopher of science Karl Popper, that says problems create progress. So. Uh, we're never going to reach a utopia. Increasing complexity doesn't mean that you know we're headed towards some sort of perfect state. Um, and if we were, it wouldn't be a utopia for long because uh, external conditions in the world are always changing. So the system has to always keep adapting. Um, so these problems that you're mentioning, uh, very real, and uh, it's our need to solve these problems which pushes in the direction of progress. So it's kind of, you know, this this dualistic uh, kind of dialogue between these two things, uh, and um, out of that tension between chaos and order, uh, you get something new. Right, right wing is chaos. We're order, and you know, eventually we win. 
Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, uh, the book really says that uh, we need something like a unifying worldview. And uh, right now, the nation is so ideologically divided that it's split into two social organisms. And those social organisms are going to be at war because they have different belief systems. And those belief systems are essentially like the DNA for the social organism. So um, there will be some, you know, battling of ideas, and uh, hopefully, uh, what comes out of that is some sort of integration of worldviews. Uh, personally, uh, you know, I have a progressive worldview, and I think this theory kind of uh, suggests that a progressive ideology is always going to be better. Any system that is too rigid. Just the word conservative is just against the evolutionary process. So um, we want to be forward looking, uh, but we do have to remember that a big portion of the country uh, is right wing. And uh, hopefully we can start to align interest by starting to look at our societies as social organisms and adaptive systems. And these principles will hopefully put us on the same page about some things. I think we can all agree that uh, politics, uh, that money has corrupted politics. So Donald Trump ran on this campaign of drain the swamp, uh, even though he really populated the swamp. But the people who are following him, um, you know, they, they believed him, they were manipulated by him. But uh, you saw the same message on uh, the left with Bernie Sanders. Uh, this, you know, this whole movement to get money out of politics. So there are things that I think that we could uh, come together uh, under, and uh, we really have to try because if we don't, it's just two uh, social organisms competing in the same geographic location, and uh, the 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 product of that, if we don't do anything to align interests, is just a completely dysfunctional nation. And if the organism, the social organism can't adapt, then it's doomed for failure. So yeah. this this uh, this framework doesn't say that we can't fail. It says if we do, the people after us will learn from our mistakes and uh, civilization will always adapt like that. But um, yeah, yeah uh, it doesn't mean that everything is going to work out on its own. We have to put conscious effort into uh, guiding society in the direction that we want to see. Yeah, 100%. And so, and I hope it stays at a battle of ideas. That's what I really, really hope. And, yeah. uh, and, and one side eventually is going to win. Uh, and then they have to be magnanimous to the other side. Otherwise, you'll never have healing. You'll never have a whole community reunited. You'll always have two camps. So, um, and, and to Bobby's point, look, put aside the, the politics for a second. Obviously, it affects the politics, but there's one thing that is inescapable about life and the universe and existence, change. Inescapable, right? And yep. so the only question is, how are you going to change? But the forces, it could, literally, unfortunately, it's just true. Doesn't mean conservatives can't have value. It doesn't mean that every change is good. It doesn't mean that conservatives can't serve as a good balance to progress. But saying there should be no change is an untenable position that cannot possibly win in the long run. So, uh, but no matter what your political views are, the book is super interesting anyway you slice it. Uh, it's called The Romance of Reality, uh, How the Universe Organizes Itself to Create Life. 
Bobby Zarian, thank you so much for coming back on and talking about it to, with us. Thanks so much, Shane.